Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 44, we discuss Fox's coverage plans for World Cup 2018. Also, whether NBC Sports Gold can bounce back after last weekend's major outage. Our verdicts about Facebook Live soccer coverage and lots of streaming news. Plus, we have a ton of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. All right, Kartik, so let's jump right in. Um, for uh, any new listeners, this is a podcast uh, really about covering the media that covers uh, the sport. So oftentimes we talk about um, the games we've been watching, but also kind of hone in on, on a lot of the analysis and coverage that we're getting. So let's start off there, Kartik, um, and talk about, uh, let's start off with the Champions League. That's probably the freshest in our minds. Uh, what are your thoughts about um, the job that Fox did this week? Yeah, I was um, I was really uh, encouraged by what Fox did in the studio this week. They replaced uh, Rob Stone with Ian Joy, who was one of my personal favorites, and, and I thought that was uh, a really appropriate. And, and, and Ian Joy directed the conversation with the studio um, analysts in a very different direction than Rob Stone would, uh, drilling deeper than giving these very basic questions and these very kind of uh, soft questions. Uh, Jovan Karofsky uh, replaced Alexi Lalas. This was a, a big move in terms of upgrading the uh, quality of analysis in the studio, the actual emphasis on the games that were being played and uh, the clubs playing those games and, and some of the, the key players and, and tactical side of the game. So that was a great upgrade. Uh, there was no uh, there was no MLS or U.S. men's national team talk other than when it came to Christian Pulisic, which is an obvious place when Borussia Dortmund was preparing to play Real Madrid. But other than that, there was no real um, emphasis on Major League soccer and the U.S. men's national team. One of our great criticisms of the Fox pregame show for the UEFA Champions League is it's basically um, U.S. men's national team report uh, or Major League Soccer report, more U.S. men's national team. And you'll bring Grant Wall on and Rob Stone will be talking about the national team. Alexi Lalas will be talking about the national team. They'll inevitably try and keep Eric Winalda out of the discussion because his views on U.S. soccer don't concur with uh, uh, the company line, if you will. So, uh, I thought this was very good. I, I hope Karofsky is uh, uh, 
kept in studio, and I hope that uh, Ian Joy continues to be uh, uh, called in to host, uh, or Kate Abdo, one of the two. We'll, we'll see uh, how Fox uh, plays this, and maybe uh, Lawless will focus on uh, Major League Soccer and the U.S. Men's National Team, other Fox properties, FA Cup, um, perhaps uh, uh, – getting ready then for uh for russia 2018 oh and also brad friedel not being in the studio friedel's level of analysis isn't necessarily um as in depth now i i hate to keep having this comparison we've had this comparison for for 25 years right but friedel versus keller because that was always the competition for the u.s goalkeeper i watch casey keller when he's on the seattle sounders broadcast and when he's on the um uh, espn fc program and i think that he's much more willing to uh drill deep um with his with his commentary uh necessarily than friedel is so uh, at least at this point as commentators keller is a little bit ahead maybe uh friedel like uh, happened in in real life as the goalkeeper will eventually win the number one job I completely agree, Kartik. It's one of those strange things because uh, essentially for Fox, this is their B team. So you got Ian Joy, uh, Jovan Karoski, Eric Ronaldo, uh really stepping in for Rob Stone, Alexi Lalas, and Brad Friedel. And um, I wouldn't get our hopes up too soon, Kartik. Reason being is that I think that Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas especially were away uh, in New York uh, for their uh, – basically at a press conference or kind of invitation-only media event uh, to talk about the World Cup. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. But that's my thinking is, is that uh, Fox is just – this is just a temporary lineup. And then in, in, in you know, next next match week, maybe in well, October, let me point, we'll get them back. Let me point this out. I forgot to point this out. Uh, Jovan Karofsky, uh, even though he was a reserve player generally uh, on these teams, has played and trained with some of the biggest clubs in Europe – Clubs that are in the Champions League, Manchester United, Borussia Dortmund, Sporting Lisbon, and others. So having that voice, um, and particularly an American voice that has uh, trained and played at those sorts of clubs, is so important when you're covering the biggest European club competition. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Karofsky is a guy that, um, if he's not going to be showcased here, maybe Turner Sports, uh, when we saw him do the game with VN, right, with Phil Shane. So he's, he's obviously a bit of a free agent. Uh, the uh, Which game was that? U.S. Honduras. Uh, maybe Jovan Karofsky is, is a good shout for Turner Sports if uh, he's not going to be showcased at Fox. Yeah, it looks like he's still going to be at Fox, though. I think it's one of those things that uh, in the kind of the totem pole, I mean, he's he's up there, but he's not as high as Alexi Lalas in, in Fox's minds, which is a shame, too, because, I mean, I mean, to me, uh, his understanding of the, of the game, uh, even his co-commentary has been good, too, and we'll get into that a little bit with the Bundesliga. But uh, it's interesting, too, I mean, because really, I mean, look at Ian Joy, Jovan Karoski, and Eric Minalda, all three of them are Americans, and all three of them played in the Bundesliga. Um, right. So it's perfect timing in terms of uh, Bayern Munich being a, a big topic this week. And, and also having played in, in Europe. I mean, so for, for the having three Americans on the set to intel, intelligent, thought-provoking um, in terms of their analysis and having them talking about the UEFA Champions League, I just thought that the way that the show... Uh, pre-game this worked uh, this week worked out was it it flowed more naturally instead of having grant wall coming in for like 10 minutes talking about something that had completely nothing to do with the uefa champions league yeah and i think karofsky it's just i i I don't want to obsess too much on one personality, but it's an important one to look at because we have this um, obsession with the U.S. men's national team that a lot of other countries don't necessarily have with their national team versus club teams, right, versus guys' success at the club level. And um, 
Karofsky was a guy that we always t- thought about as our next big thing on the national team. He never really panned out, even though he has something like 60 caps. But he's a guy that's played at big clubs, came through uh, Manchester United with, with gigs and uh, gig schools, the Neville brothers, that same uh, Nicky Butt, that same era. And um, you know, played in the Premier League for, for a while also with, with Palace and with, uh, with Brum. So he's a guy that has different perspectives at the club level than a lot of even the U.S., the most successful U.S. men's national team uh, players have uh, because they played much of their career in MLS or if they were in, in Europe, they were at one club. So I, I, I think his experience as he develops as a co-commentator and as a studio analyst is so important because his perspective, there are very few Americans who have played at the clubs he's played at. Mm -hmm. And that's something to remember. Yeah, I I think uh, for me personally, as far as the pre-game, halftime and post-match, this is some of uh, Fox's best work in a long time in terms of uh, UEFA Champions League. I'm not sure if it's uh, coincidental or not, but uh, last week we reported about uh, John T. Whitehead who is the uh, producer over at uh, Fox Sports that uh, quit the company and has gone on to, well, I don't even know where he's gone now, but he's he's gone on. So I don't know if that's part of the the equation too and whether maybe now the the actual production is better because of him not being there or or not, who knows. But at the end of the day, um, I thought Fox did a great job and uh, hopefully these guys, hopefully they'll get some really key roles in the World Cup coverage too. And again, we'll get more into that a little bit later. Uh, Kartik... um, Facebook Live yeah. also. Well, Facebook, was, li- well, Facebook Live, let, let, let's leave that one because that's going to be our the, feature topic of the week. So. The, uh, the Fox coverage of, of the Champions League you want to wait on, our Facebook Live coverage? Yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll cover okay. that in our feature topic of the week. Um, now, in terms of some of the other games we've been watching, let's this, this kind of go into um, Bayern Munich against Wolfsburg. That was the... Uh, <laughs> The game on Friday, uh, I enjoyed this one, Kartik. I, I enjoyed it for two reasons. One, I enjoyed the match. It was competitive, which is rare to say when you're watching um, uh, Bayern Munich in, in the Bundesliga. Um, but the other thing I, I really enjoyed, too, was just the uh, Eric Winalda doing the co-commentary, uh, Keith Costigan, as far as the commentator, uh, the whole studio setup they had. I really think that Fox is doing a fantastic job with the Bundesliga coverage. Um, there's a lot of issues about why the Bundesliga is probably not going to get as big, but they're doing a great job. I'm, I'm really, really excited about uh, watching more and more uh, Bundesliga. Yeah, Costigan uh, uh, had uh, two games this week uh, he, uh, that I saw. The Bayern Wolfsburg game did a very good job with Eric Winalda. Then the Orlando City Portland game with Alexi Lalas. Costigan, a former Portland Timbers player, uh, and Lalas and Paul Tenorio actually uh, uh, was the uh, sideline reporter. Was was really happy to see that for that game. Fox was stretched because they had their um, their other two games on Fox Network. So that was essentially um, they had to uh, they had to pull a third team out for that game um and costigan had a very good week in both games i think calling them uh and, and as i've said before lawless is very hit or miss i thought he was on in the portland orlando game uh then again it, it may not be that difficult to uh analyze how good valeri is and how bad orlando was i i know orlando fans i know we're, we're recording this after you beat new england 6-1 new england was down to 10 men uh, after six or seven minutes don't get too excited um, the portland game was a three nil shellacking out at uh out in uh oregon and and uh costigan was great in that game he was really good in this one and i think winalda as a co-commentator um it just he he describes things that other american analysts aren't just like describes kind of mental mental aspects of the game during the game um 
and and then obviously a lot of, of, of good tactical analysis from him. So I thought this was good. Um, after the game, the ESPN FC... Hang on, Karthik. Let me add, add in on, on Ronaldo there too. I think he's really in his element right now and uh, we'll get maybe into the news section later about maybe one of the reasons why, but he's got some, such uh, great confidence at this le- level right now. Um, but the way he reads the game, it's so good. It's almost like you're you're getting it from the mind of a coach and you're seeing things differently and he's explaining it really well. Um, and that makes a big difference too because oftentimes you get players kind of adding their perspective or former players, but he's seen it through the eyes of a coach and he's seen different things. So kind of watch out for this, watch out, watch out for that. Um, and it's really elevating the coverage. And, and that's so rare to, to say when it comes to Fox Sports. Yeah, I think it's... Uh it's getting better, really. Fox has won this league of coverage. I mean, this is year three. Year one, it was asked if they didn't care at all. It was a throwaway. And uh, year two, they made some progressive changes to, to to improve the broadcast. But it seems like now they've got a real feel for the league. They understand the league. And if you are a Bundesliga fan, uh, they're doing a much better job. The numbers have come up ever so slightly. We'll talk about that in uh, the next seg- or the, uh, segment three. But it, it's... Um, it's getting to a point where we're getting comfortable with Fox uh, watching the Bundesliga and we're not turning the games on thinking, oh, gosh, it's going to be a it's, it's going to be a disaster. There was the one game where Warren Barton was the co-commentator, the one Bayern game <laughs> earlier in the season, which was which was terrible. But um, I, I guess NBC has its bad days too. Uh, at Premier League coverage. So right. I'm, I'm getting more and more comfortable with Fox's coverage of the Bundesliga. Yeah. 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 Me too. But I, I really enjoy it. And actually let me just add one more thing, Kartik, before you talk about what uh, ESPN FC had to say about the, uh, the Bayern Wolfsburg game. And that is that on Sunday I watched the, uh, well, I didn't watch all of it. I just watched maybe the first 20 minutes of it. I had a run, but it was the um, Hanover uh, Cologne game. And uh, Steve Chirondolo was the co-commentator. Uh, former uh, U.S. men's national team player, so that was great to kind yeah, of uh, Hanover, Hanover legend. Yeah, so it was great to get to have him on the commentary. That's uh, the first time I remember hearing him. So that was a nice uh, bonus there. So yeah, would, I, I mean, I'm thinking if you're covering the Bundesliga, <laughs> that's the guy to get, right? If you're yeah. American Network, uh, played in the Bundesliga for 15 years or so, is um, uh, probably culturally, I'm just guessing, probably as German as he is American by now because he had spent so much time uh, playing in that league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was doing the, uh, the co-commentary for the, I guess, the world feed. So um, so we might get to hear him uh, do some more games in the future too. So so what about ESPN FC uh, Friday in terms of that uh, Bayern-Wolfsburg 2-2 tie? What did they have to say about that one? Well, Burley right away said Ancelotti will be sacked by the summer. Everybody seemed in shock and incredulous about it. And uh, Craig Burley went on to say they're not going to win the league if they play like this. Oh, they're only uh, two points behind it or one point behind it. It became uh, four the next day, right? Because Borussia Dortmund crushed uh, uh, crushed Borussia Mönchengladbach. But he said no, because the way they're going, they're going to continue to drop points in, in these games. And Dortmund uh, will win the league. Everybody was kind of shocked. He re, he doubled down again on Monday. So Dortmund wins six one on Saturday. Burley on Monday said Angelotti's gone. He's gone when they started previewing PSG Bayern. He's gone before the summer. He's going to need to win this game, or he might be gone sooner. Well, um, as we record this, it appears like he is gone much sooner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it appears like Burley was correct. Uh, they of course got beat three 0 by PSG, a, a match where um, he 
piece out a, mon- a, a bunch of his bigger name players. We'll get more into that during the Facebook Live segment. So that was uh, that was interesting. Obviously, the Premier League the next day. Um, this is a subject we talk, we've talked about on the show before, Chris, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, for me, Arlo White's commentary is becoming more and more tedious as, as we go on, and he's always paired with someone really good, right? It's either Lasso or Lee Dixon, but um, he, he is constantly talking during the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where there was one point in this game where he starts asking Lee Dixon a question and, and Dixon's like, let's wait to watch this, how this plays out before <laughs> before I give a comment. I don't know wow. if you were watching at that time, no. but he did. Um, and um, he, he's not if you're going to talk constantly, um, there is. John Strong and Ian Dark are two commentators on other networks right in the U.S. And. They both talk a lot. They talk more than, let's say, John Champion does or, or Mark Tyler during a broadcast. But there seems to be a level of a- analysis or um, uh, usefulness in, in some in some of the additional commentary strong or dark gives. I'm not finding that with White anymore. It, mm-hmm. It's just becoming tedious, to be honest with you. Maybe it's familiarity breeding a, a certain degree of contempt because we see him to, uh, once or twice every weekend. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I think a little bit of it is um, a plateau. And, and we've talked about this in a previous episode uh, going back, if you, if you guys want to go back into the archives, about how NBC Sports has seemed to have hit a plateau with their coverage of the Premier League in general anyway, even before the whole NBC Sports uh, gold debacle. But um, I th- I, to me, it's time to change it up a bit. I mean, that's the thing that uh, NBC Sports has done so well up until, the, up until now is making all the right decisions, again, except for NBC Sports gold. But in this case, I think it is, it's time to change things up a little bit. And I wonder if they're starting to think about, you know, I mean, spreading the wealth a little bit and having maybe Arlo instead of doing three games a weekend, having him do one, bring somebody else in to do kind of a commentary. Uh, that's the concern, though, is that they wouldn't really have anyone lined up. Um, and and you mean before they make any changes, you mean the way that they're being going, which has been very conservative. Uh, it may not be until next season, and by that point, you mean I think there'll be more and more people that are kind of tired and, and sick of him. Um, he's okay by himself. I, he's not the worst commentator ever. Uh, oh no, no, no! I'm not saying that. No, just, but, but, but I'm making the obvious comparison as the top commentator for a network, comparing him to John Strong and Ian Dark, who are the top commentators of the other two big networks. Yeah. I guess the best word I could describe it as is stale and stale sometimes and not to say that it's a bad thing. It's just, it's just too predictable. um, And we know what we're going to get. And there's a lot of people that like him. There's a lot of people that don't. Um, And you you know what you're going to get with Arla White. So for good or for bad. Um, For me, Kartik, actually it's um, two of my four kids are in AYSO, so AYSO uh, has started up, and so this past Saturday for for me with the Premier League, I didn't get a chance to watch many games because of um, of, of being at the fields for the games there. Um, I did come back to um, try to watch uh, Swansea against Watford on NBC Sports Gold, and uh, and I I had no idea what was going on, so I came back in, joined it mid 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 game, and then looked on social media, and so social media was blowing up. Again, we'll get into more into that in in our news segment, but um, but the one thing yeah. I did I did learn though too, which is a question that came up on on the uh, on the WorldSoccerTalk.com website, is if you go into NBC Sports Gold and you want you want to watch one of the games uh, mid game. 
uh, can you go ahead and go ahead and say, okay, start from the beginning or go live? And there's no choice. It takes you in right into live. So I was going in hoping I'd be able to go back to minute zero. Well, that's almost pointless in, in some ways because I think part of the reason you get these on-demand services. Yeah. Well, like with Sling TV, for example, if you go into a live broadcast, you can go ahead and start from the beginning or go live. And uh, and with NBC Sports Gold, you can't. And, and I found out the hard way because I have to. I have to tell you, actually, even on Directv, if you're watch, if you turn on a Premier League game at eleven fifteen Eastern time, it'll give you the option to uh, you know rewind to start this game from from uh, the beginning. Now, the only problem is on Directv. If you started from the beginning, you can't fast forward through it. Okay, huh? Uh, but at least you, you have, have that option. At least you have, but that, you option do have that option, and you know what you're so getting. Some don't have to, yeah, some Sunday don't yeah. have that option. Yeah, so NBC Sports Gold, I went in, and I was hoping to go back to the zero, and I went in at minute 52 with Swansea losing 1-0, to zero, and it actually probably was a good thing because I heard that the, the first half was uh, Swansea was horrible, and the second half was much better. So I watched the last, like, what, 38 minutes of the game, and it was, it was pretty entertaining. Um, not the result I wanted, but um, it, it is what it is. Kartik, so what else did you watch this past weekend? Uh, yeah, so uh, the NBC Sports Gold fiasco took up a lot of my time on Saturday. We'll get to that in the next segment. Uh, the uh, The Manchester City Palace game was uh, was the ten o'clock uh, Eastern Time kickoff on NBCSN. That was kind of a uh, a ho hum kick around. Uh, switched to CNBC. Chelsea at Stoke, same thing. Yeah, uh, I, I think the one thing we have to take away from this though is that every, everybody's talking about the Manchester teams, and maybe uh, Spurs form away from home, away from Wembley, although Wembley continues to be a big problem for them. Uh, but Chelsea is right there, uh, going to the to the Britannia or whatever the stadium is called now, Bet365, and, and putting that kind of performance on. Then midweek, going to uh, the new Vincente Calderon. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the new stadium, but um, to the new stadium for Atleti and winning with that Batashoi goal late. That they, uh, they're still uh, at, at a really high level. So watch that. We talked about Liverpool, Leicester. I watched um, Dortmund, uh, Borussia, uh, Muchen Gladbach for uh, for a little bit when I switched from the Liverpool Leicester game. You know, it's it, it, it's it's tough because um, there is so little. I, I get annoyed by the lack of quality defending in the Premier League and the bad giveaways, particularly when Liverpool and Leicester are just a poster child for this in the league, right? So <laughs> right. This, this, could, this was possibly, even though there was a lot of scoring and it was exciting end-to-end stuff, uh, as uh, Arlo White building up the, um, the, the the accolades for the league would say, you, know, you can't take your eyes off of it. I think that was his line. At the same time, it was because the, the, both teams were giving the ball away and uh, both back lines are terrible. So I switched to the, to the Dortmund Volusia Borussia-Mönchengladbach game, and it's um, every Dortmund game this season has been 4-5-0. or five nil. Now, they finally conceded in this game towards the end, but um, it, it's funny because last year, Dortmund was the team in Europe that was probably playing just like these Premier League teams, giving up goals, losing yep. games 4-3 under Thomas Tuchel, and under Peter Bosch this season, a former Ajax manager, they've come in and solidified their defense. Uh, and they're still scoring the same amount of goals. So then they're not interesting to watch. So I switch back to, to Liverpool and Leicester and see Mignolet make the penalty save and then the other 
maybe non-call. Um, so that was, yes. I, 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 we talked about this in last episode and kind of that uh, there wasn't really a lot to talk about last week in terms of uh, some really competitive, exciting matches. And I think I found the solution because I've got the, I've had the same issue too where I've just there's just been too many one-sided games. And even if you're a Manchester City supporter, you mean, it gets a little bit tiring after a while. It's like, you mean, Crystal Palace is so bad. Um, but I think I found the solution, and, and that's the championship. Because uh, I watched uh, Sunday morning, I watched the Sheffield Derby, so the first Steel City Derby in five years. I watched Sheffield Wednesday against Sheffield United, and I was blown away. It was really entertaining, very competitive, back and forth, end-to-end action. Um, a different type of football, too. You mean, it's not your predictable kind of tiki-taka there were some long balls. There were some, I mean, it was physical, uh, really entertaining first half. And um, I think I might start trying to watch more of the championship. I mean, I, I do try to when I get a chance, but oftentimes it's on at the same time as other games. And unfortunately, with the SPN3, uh, and the same thing with Sling Orange, there's no way to actually record those games. So that's yeah. the challenge I have. But, um, but yeah, I was really excited by this one. And to me, this is one of the most exciting competitive matches, uh, I mean, two-sided matches I've seen uh, from this past week from watching football. Right, and I ended up watching uh, Cardiff and Leeds midweek, which was uh, uh, once uh, I was watching that at the same time as, as Champions League uh, with multiple screens going, and that was uh, that was an exciting game. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the, the other thing um, I wanted to point out uh, from the weekend was that uh, NBC, we, we've criticized them a lot recently, but it seems like their Monday pregame show is always worth watching. Yeah. Uh, so it was West from Arsenal this week. Uh, Liam McHugh was hosting, no Rebecca Lowe, but they always bring in um, the, 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 co- the co-commentators uh, for the commentator and co-commentators for the Monday games, uh, the, the Premier League uh, commentators. This was Gareth Barry's record-breaking game. I'm a big fan of his, uh, not just from his time at Man City, but even uh, before that at Villa. And, um, and then you've got uh, the Steve Bauer segment where Liam McHugh brings Steve Bauer in from the BBC studios. And there's the BBC sport affixed in behind him. So uh, I, I guess that legitimizes it in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he gives a lot of information Information, inside information that you don't necessarily get uh, during the weekend on NBC. So it's, it, it almost serves at, in a way as a weekend wrap-up show mm-hmm. uh, because what's happened the last few weeks and hopefully uh, scheduling considerations will loosen for NBC. What's happened the last two weeks, I want to say, maybe three weeks, is that goal zone has been bumped. The goal zone after the games on Saturday has been bumped to NBCSports.com. And they haven't been able to show it live on SN or on um, NBC over the air. So it seems like you're missing that piece uh, of, of weekend wrap-up or Saturday wrap-up uh, that you would get normally. And then there's the match of the day. They do tape that, and I watch that, but that's, that's highlight-heavy, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's less analysis in it. So right. um, the Monday pregame show, and I think I mentioned this toward the end of last season as well, is becoming a real kind of valuable hidden gem in NBC's Premier League portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I also enjoyed uh, the 
uh, pre-match uh, conversation with uh, Martin Tyler and Danny Hig- Higginbotham. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was good. The other thing I really enjoyed too, and uh, I thought was really good coverage, was pre-game where they were able to show the picture of inside West Brom's uh, uh, dressing room, changing room, of the photo, the, the sign that they had that was set up. And it had, I think, five key points, which was kind of uh, Tony Pulis's mantra as far as don't let the players in behind you. Um, start, uh, you mean the first half, uh, you mean hard, fast tempo, uh, those types of things. I thought that was really uh, but, enlightening. But here's the, here's the thing again, the ESPN FC versus NBC contrast on Arsenal. I mean, I hate, I hate to keep bringing this up, but so you watch NBC SN after the game and they're very genuinely complimentary. Hey, Arsenal, they got the business done. They won the game, Lacazette, etc. You turn to ESPN FC and you'd think Arsenal would have lost. I mean, Burley and his slop were talking about how West Brom were all over them early and how they, there should have been a penalty and uh, uh, who was it for uh, West Brom should have just gone down. I can't remember. Yeah. Jay Rodriguez, yeah, it should have been a penalty. Uh, and uh, again, Arsenal uh, isn't impressive, and they're not going to finish in the top four. So, um, again, I, I, it was six, six weeks ago or eight weeks ago on this show, we had the whole conversation about the narrative from those two networks. Uh, for whatever reason, NBC is trying to give Arsenal a fair shot or build them up, and ESPN's pundits on that ESPN FC have just completely written them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> take any chance they can to take shots at them, even when they win. Yeah, yeah, which is true. It's fair points because I mean, based on the result of that game, um, it did not uh, match up with the performance on the pitch, and it could have easily been West Brom could have been two nil ahead uh, at half time. Right, so, I didn't disagree with yeah. with earlier just interesting. analysis. It's just, but they, it, it's almost like they have their talking points prepared when Arsenal <laughs> plays. Right, which, which again, it, it depends which kind of pair of glasses are you watching this game with you know if it's rose tinted or or not but uh and i see but i see espn fc's side of things definitely but uh but but it's not just arsenal though you've seen it with other teams too where kind of uh you mean man united last season in terms of some of their performances were so poor but they ended up getting the results and uh you mean the results didn't match up with the performances um two more things kartik real fast is uh, I did watch Juve against Torino and the the derby, the Turin derby. Uh, really, some classy goals there by Juventus on being sports. Uh, watch the Dortmund Real Madrid game. The one the one thing I would say is if you want to watch the Champions League, um, UEFA Champions League, the best way to do it still is multi match ninety. Uh, really great. Uh, I watched it Wednesday on uh, Fox Soccer Plus uh, through Fubo. And uh, I mean, just I mean, minute by minute, those goals go flying in, and you're just jumping from game to game to game. And to me, that was definitely the most exciting way to watch the Champions League, especially when you have so many good games going on at uh, at the same time. And um, of course, Kartik too, Yonidas por los nuestros. Oh yeah, I watched I watched that Wednesday, uh, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, that was uh, uh, fantastic. Well done. Maybe too many voices crowded in in, in the commentary booth, but they had to get everybody in. Uh, I, I don't want to start naming names because they were, I'll forget someone uh, ultimately. But I I thought uh, Kev Egan was tremendous. I thought Hercules Gomez was tremendous. I thought Seb Salazar. Everybody uh, involved in it was uh, did uh, uh, Mark Rogandino did such a fantastic job and. Um, you know, it, it was for a good cause. It was for Mexico, Puerto Rico, Florida, Texas, relief from natural disasters. I like seeing Liga Emekis in English. 
yeah. I hope they show more games. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. I got to watch four games in two nights. Well, that, um, well that's the league. Yeah, and that's the thing for listeners who may not uh, be uh, familiar with it. So, Unidos por los Nuestros, United Together, was a collaboration between all the major sports networks, well, most of the major sports ne- networks in the United States, uh, Univision, uh, Fox Sports, ESPN, uh, BN Sports, uh, Azteca America, uh, Fusion, and there might be one or two I'm forgetting about. But they all work together to broadcast uh, Liga MX games uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And in addition to that, too, they had um, a whole bunch of um, fundraisers going, discussion shows, and uh, all focused on trying to raise money uh, for the American Red Cross in order to to help uh, all these people that have been impacted by these natural disasters. Um, for Liga MX or MX, Kartik, it was cr- incredible because I... I uh, I'm really kind of uh, regretful, but I didn't get to see any of these matches just because it was a really busy week for me uh, in the evening times. But I will say that uh, for Liga Mackies, some of these games had they were broadcast on 10 networks at the same time. Yeah. So not only, I mean, it's kind of unintended consequences, but uh, I think Liga Mackies, I'm sure, got a big boost from this one in terms of viewership and also in terms of just people kind of finding yeah. and watching, watching the games. And I also have to say that there was uh, extensive on ESPN News. I'm not sure about on FS2 or on Univision or BN. I think BN did show it, actually. There were extensive pregame shows trying to raise money for um, the American Red Cross, but they had um, the ability to uh, show all the Champions League highlights, right? Because this was the wonderful thing about all these networks working together. There were no restrictions on highlights. There were no restrictions on who they could show mm-hmm. because ultimately you pool the resources of all these networks and you have rights to everything other than the Premier League, right? But ESPN has the highlights rights of the Premier League. Um, so they were able to, to present. Now, I didn't watch the lead-in show on Wednesday, I have to admit, although I do have it on tape. Tuesday, I watched the lead-in show, which was two hours um, on ESPN. And um, they had highlights of all the Champions League games. Mariano Trujillo from Fox, he was uh, he was on there as well. Uh, and uh, it was really, really well done. I mean, it was one of those things which I enjoyed, but... the. The, the problem is it's it's a one-off, right? Mm-hmm. I, you kind of wish this was happening all the time. Uh, Hercules Gomez is just tremendous. I mean, he he can he's become a, a jack of all trades. Whether it's um, uh, being in the studio, whether it's uh, analyzing Europe, whether it's analyzing MLS, whether it's being in the booth for for Liga MX game, he just uh, whichever language you know, English, Spanish. Uh, he's he's really emerging as a, a top talent and one that, uh, uh, unfortunately, I mean, we talked about this before, unfortunately for Fox, they let get away. Yeah, and you had uh, Phil Shane commentate his very first uh, yeah. Liga Mackey's game. Uh, it was so cool to see Univision, ESPN, Fox, and um, be in sports talent. Thomas Rongin was, was involved. Great yeah, to see Ray Hudson. Yeah, Ray Hudson. I, I, and to see them all together. I mean, they did all this at uh, Univision Studios in Miami, but to see them all together uh, on the same set, working together for uh, for a, a good call. And uh, through soccer was was incredible to see, and I, I think it's um, I think hats off definitely to Univision for uh, setting this up and then working with all the different broadcasters uh, to get get this uh, rolling. It, it was interesting though, Kartik, in terms of uh, the emissions. So two emissions, and there might be more than that, but the two biggest emissions I could think of in terms of uh, two companies that were not involved, as far as I could tell, in any way. Uh, one is Gold TV which I'm wondering just in, t- in terms of just talent, maybe that they're so small these days that maybe they, you mean, 
that they were kind of uh, so, so small and uh, kind of not even involved. And, and the second thing was uh, Telemundo. Well, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about Cantor the whole time. I mean, Nico Cantor was on, but his father obviously would have been just tremendous, and he's in Miami. So, yeah, and, and B- the NBC networks didn't participate for whatever reason. Yeah, so I think probably maybe competition in terms of uh, NBC Universo and Telemundo Deportes against uh, yeah, Univision. Yeah, it would have been good to have Andres Contour also because, as I mentioned on a previous show during Irma, uh, he, he he had to leave Miami and was in Connecticut with Rebecca Lowe in studio uh, for uh, Premier League coverage because obviously they couldn't broadcast out of Miami that weekend. Everything down here was, was shot down and being hit by a hurricane. So um, I, it would have been good to have him because he actually – uh, has a story related to one of the storms, one of the disasters, where what he had to do to keep broadcasting. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next seg- segment of the show, and that's TV streaming news. And uh, to start with, some major news. Yeah, Fox has uh, unveiled uh, what well, they're terming unprecedented coverage plans for the 2018 World Cup uh, in Russia. Uh, so I think the big... Uh, talking point from this is the number of games that are going to be available over the air that that's uh absolutely tremendous after um espn and abc had de-emphasized that part of um of the broadcast the last couple world cups and it's just a general trend espn espn sports or abc and espn did the disney networks have been throwing more and more stuff on cable including the bcs title game the last few years as everyone knows so uh that's the way they were they're thinking about distribution whereas fox is thinking about distribution in a in a very different way it seems uh, uh approximately half the games are going to be over the air which is um just a stunning number. I mean, hats off to Fox. I don't know how it's going to work. Uh, how, how many shows they're going to have to preempt? Although, let's keep this in mind. Um, and it's been t- 25 years, really, since 20 or 25 years since the Fox network was built out. 25 years um, or so, the early 90s. But they still do not have the level of programming and the kind of um, uh you know, built-in programming that they can't preempt that the NBCs, ABCs, and CBSs have. Mm-hmm. They're very much the fourth network. So they're, well, well, that's probably good in this case because they can, they can show as much as they can on the network, whereas when you're dealing with ABC or you're dealing with NBC, as we've seen with the Premier League, um, there are oftentimes that there are pro- there's programming that you just can't shove out of the way exactly. to show things over the air. So I think that this is, uh, this is a positive thing. The, um, the, the, the other thing, Kartik, is just in terms of the timing of these games. So with it being in Russia, um, most of the games are going to kick off each day at 7 a.m. Eastern, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, and 1 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. So the timing of those are probably better in terms of just trying to, uh, I mean, whatever programming is being shown in, at those times. I mean, right. They don't have a Good Morning America or Today type show. That's another thing I'm talking about, the weakness of Fox's programming lineup. They don't have the built-out. Fox has had a built-out primetime lineup uh, for 25 years, but they've never had the daytime strength. Uh, or the weekend strength that the um, that the other three major networks have. Exactly, exactly. Any, anything else in terms of uh, Fox's news uh, you want to? Yeah, say? I mean, I thought, thought that uh, the Eric Shanks comment about the U.S. Uh, if they didn't make the World Cup, uh, I know it was a joke that that would be like two hundred million flush down the toilet. Uh, there are so many people that are going to watch this World Cup for um, the other national teams and Mexico, who's already qualified, and they know Mexico because they're pushing that angle. Uh, Yes, it would be 
a bad deal for them if the U.S. didn't qualify. Would it be $200 million down the drain? Maybe not. Maybe $100 or $150 million down the drain, but not quite $200. So mm-hmm. I found that uh, an interesting comment. Because that's still, they're still very much thinking about the U.S. Yeah, the feeling I got, Kartik, was that uh, Fox is holding back a little bit because uh, because of the U.S. Um, not having clinched uh, qualification yet for uh, the World Cup. And if uh, the U.S. had already qualified, uh, perhaps maybe Fox was going to be ready to, to share more or get more really more excited about uh, everything that's happening for next summer. So I think we're in almost like in limbo land. Once we know for sure that the U.S. can make it, then perhaps Fox will uh, reveal more information. I was a little bit disappointed in just in terms of... Uh, the lack of excitement coming from this news. I mean, it, it is major news to have, I mean, 33 games or more uh, going to be shown on over-the-air Fox television. That's incredible. Uh, approximately 350 hours worth of coverage coming from Russia um, through Fox. Uh, that's an incredible number two. Uh, having the set, the main set that they're, they're going to use is a two-story set uh, in the middle of Red Square in Moscow. Uh, that'll be interesting. And That's uh, also interesting because, I mean, we know that the Confederations Cup was an opportunity for them to, to kind of scout uh, sites, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I found um, the thing that was stunning is that they had, I thought, a really good vista in St. Petersburg. But now they're going to Red Square, which is going to be so much cooler. Um, but that they, they, they did that at the Confederations Cup. It seemed to work. But that they were, at, in the meantime, still scouting for a better site and got it. That, that, that uh, is good work by Fox. Yeah. I, I was surprised that they didn't mention uh, the commentators or announcers. Um, they're going to be uh, at the World Cup. Supposedly, they're about 90% of the way making, uh, making the decisions. Uh, Landon Donovan will be one of the uh, stars of uh, Fox's uh, broadcast team. And, and of, of course, John Strong, with whom I'm sure will be calling the, uh, the World Cup final. But yeah. uh, it looks like they're going for an all-American approach. Um, Mark Folliwell, uh is going to be added alongside uh, Glenn Davis, uh, John Strong, um, and, and, and I'm sure other, others too. But it's a very um, American uh, method. Glenn Davis is going to call games or Glenn Davis is going to call games? Uh, okay. Call games, yeah. So, um, so there is like 90% of the way of the decisions have been, ma- been made about the commentators, but they haven't announced the full lineup yet. So maybe there's a, a 10% where they're trying to figure out whether to bring in some uh, talent from overseas. Well, or... I would hope they would stick with uh, Ian Wright and with uh, Goose Heating. I think both had good uh, good Confederations Cups. Yeah. Well, as far we... as Lothar Mateus, they don't need him, but the other <laughs> <laughs> are fine. Yeah, Ian, Ian Wright will be there for sure. So he's going to be there. Uh, Gus Hedding, I'm not sure. And uh, Lothar Matthias, hopefully not. But we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. And and obviously, uh, I, I think that they have a depth in their in their uh, in their ranks as far as uh, potential analysts that we might get into a little bit in the Facebook Live segment and and uh, talent, you know, Rachel mm-hmm. Bennett also that perhaps we can talk about in terms of what they do during the World Cup. Now, of course, here here's a, a consideration for Fox. Okay, they have um, Major League Soccer is taking a two week break during the World Cup, but there is the World Cup's a four week event, so MLS will will play during two weeks of the World Cup, the final two weeks, and they're they've really? got games contractually they'll have to broadcast. Um, oh, yeah, it's tough to take a month off, though. I mean, in fairness to MLS. Um, I know, but who's going to be watching it? I mean, who's going to be interested? 
I didn't go into those Well, uh, that's true, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, in some places there will be. I mean, in Orlando, uh, Orlando and Seattle, people are more interested in their club teams than in anything else in football. So mm-hmm. they'll go to the games. But in uh, New York or L.A., they, they won't bother, probably. Right. So it depends. I mean, maybe they'll MLS will schedule strategically so that Seattle has a bunch of home games during that period. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, and I guess at that point too, I mean, Fox would be using or utilizing their kind of the, the B team or C team in terms yeah. of the talent that they have. At well, the I guess disposal. they were in that already during the Confederations Cup. Now that we think about that, they already had that that issue, didn't they? That's right. Yeah, you had MLS Tony Miola doing some of the games, and yeah, uh, yeah exactly. The um, so two more things about the, the Fox's announcement this week is that um, one is that Fox's uh, World Cup ratings will uh, include out of home. Um, broadcasts. So the broadcasts that you see in bars and restaurants and gyms and other public venues, those will be included in the in the ratings um, for the first time. So that's a big deal, especially as we've seen with ESPN in, in previous uh, World Cups, where there were so many people watching ga- these games in bars, and those numbers weren't included in, in the, the, the TV ratings. So that's that's massive. The other thing is is that Fox is trying to get approval from FIFA to insert six-second ads into World Cup games. And this is something that um, they have to get a- approval from FIFA to, to be allowed to do this. But what they're trying to do is, uh, I think, similar to what they've been doing with um, MLS games, is have the split screen and uh, have the ad running and the game on the side. Uh, hopefully, I mean, from my behalf, hopefully FIFA says, no, you can't do that. But uh, that's what Fox is trying to do uh, for the World Cup. Narcotic, moving on, uh, Fubo TV, uh, the streaming service in the United States, they've made several uh, updates uh, to their streaming service uh, recently, including they've added 49 new Fox markets. So perfect timing with the news about uh, Fox um, having the World Cup, most of the games on, on the World Cup uh, next next summer. So they've added 49 uh, local over-the-air Fox markets to Fubo, so which includes actually my, my area, uh, here in southern Florida, I'm actually now able to watch my local Fox affiliates live and on demand through Fubo. Uh, it brings the, the, the coverage of Fox over the air to about 59% of all local Fox affiliates uh, available nationwide. Second thing is, is that uh, they've increased the DVR um, capacity. So now it's up to 30 hours of programming. And you can save those programs for an unlimited amount of time. In the past, I think it was about three days that you could have the the, the recording saved for. But now you can keep it for, forever if you want to. Uh, they've also added a additional uh, $9.99 a month plan uh, for increased uh, cloud DVR capacity. And that's for up to 500 hours. So if you're the type of person that likes to record everything, they have that as an as a added feature if you want to go and do that. Uh, they're also going to be increasing the price uh, per month uh, for Fubo TV. So right now, if you sign up for uh, month one and month two, it's nineteen ninety nine a month, and then uh, in the third month and subsequent months, it's thirty four ninety nine a month. Uh, they're going to be increasing that thirty four ninety nine a month to thirty nine dollars and ninety nine cents a month uh, for new customers. So if you're a current subscriber, you get grandfathered in with that um, that that uh, rate that you're paying now. So anyway, so if you're contemplating uh, trying Fubo, now's the time to go ahead and uh, try and set up for a free trial. And then that way, if you do like the service and you you do sign up, then you'll be grandfathered in under the $34.99 per month plan. And I I believe that change is going to happen this weekend, October 1st. So so, uh, go ahead and sign up for that free trial. Fantastic. Um, 
as previously referenced this weekend, this past weekend, we had a, a major crash of NBC Sports Gold coverage of the Premier League. And I was getting messaged at 10.01 and 10.02 Eastern time about this from some of our listeners, some of the, some of you you out there listening and, and uh, Twitter followers. And I, I was cautious and decided to wait about 15 minutes before talking about it uh, on Twitter because I thought, OK, maybe they'll fix it. Maybe uh, uh, just these, these people are having problems. But it, it seemed to be a, a massive system-wide issue with login, with the the platform crashing, with um, too much traffic, with uh, errors on, on the um, platform. The big thing was Manchester United was playing um, against Southampton, the first Manchester United game they've had on the platform. Now, we've seen every time there's a big team, Spurs when they played uh, Burnley, Liverpool when they played Burnley also, and, and now United and Southampton, there was some problem with, with NBC Sports Gold. Uh, this was um, unprecedented, though. It was crashing on people. People couldn't log in. Uh, and there were, they hadn't gotten the word out that they were um, – streaming goal zone uh, excuse me goal rush on nbcsports.com so finally the word got put out by uh, partly by by us but by um world soccer talking by myself that that they were doing that nbc so people went to goal rush but guess what but there was no audio and that didn't get fixed till about the 82nd minute. So uh, just an all, all in all a disaster mm-hmm. for NBC Sports Gold. Now, I think there were people who logged in in the second half of NBC Sports Gold, those 10, 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs, who got into their games yeah. because the traffic had dropped down again and, and the platform was working properly. But if you tried to log in during the first half between about 10 a.m. Eastern and 10.40 or 10.45 a.m. Eastern, generally you didn't get in. And if you got in, you got an error message. And if you if you got in and were lucky enough not to get an error message, the system crashed on you within a minute or two. Yeah, it was, uh, for lack of a better word, it was a shit show. And, and it's one of those things. Actually, most of those NBC Sports Gold games got moved to uh, NBCSports.com and available for free through there but just because people weren't able to watch them through NBC Sports Gold. One of my sources revealed to me that um, the, the reason for the issue was really uh, was NBC Sports had outsourced, uh, I, I guess, the actual authentication. So when you log in as an NBC Sports Gold customer and you're, you, mean, you pay to subscribe, um, that part of the, the puzzle uh, NBC Sports had outsourced to a different company. And that was the issue that people that was causing everything to crash was the, uh, I guess, the number of people, which I, they should have expected this, but the number of people, especially Manchester United fans, trying to log in and uh, they were just having issues once they logged in, just having that, you mean, Having it having it available and error messages and all sorts of different things. So, so NBC Sports um, did make a comment, and we posted that on the WorldSoccerTalk.com uh, website this week that um, they're looking into it and they're they're working on it. And uh, this particular weekend coming up um, on Saturday, there's four games on NBC Sports Gold. Uh, none of them feature massive Premier League teams. Uh, no offense. Uh, but um, hopefully behind the scenes that'll give them some more time to figure out the issue and either bring in that technology in-house rather than outsourcing it or work with a partner more closely to actually fix this issue so it doesn't happen again. Because at at the end of the day, Kartik, it could end up being that uh, if this keeps on happening and they keep on issuing refunds or credits, that by the end of the season that uh, this service would have been free anyway uh, with all the credits we'd be receiving. So... 
hopefully hopefully they get the act together because uh, my fear of Kartik is really is that uh, this is a big warning sign uh, for Turner Sports for next season where 50% or more of the Champions League games and all of the Europa League games except for one, the final, is, is going to be streamed uh, online to um, to soccer fans nationwide. So if you do have a Manchester United against Barcelona game, you mean... Will they be able to handle that that type of traffic and that type of signups, um, which a lot of it is last minute? Uh, that's my concern. So hopefully, Turner Sports is watching this closely and getting their technology act together to make sure that this doesn't happen uh, for them. Now, Kartik, uh, will soccer talk? So this is something I've been working on for. I think I mentioned this on the podcast a few times before um, in the past uh, past year. But I've been working on a, a book, uh, e-book, which is going to be a guide to what how to watch soccer uh, legally uh, on TV and and online in the United States. And uh, I've been working on this for the past year. Every time I'm so close to getting it ready to publish, uh, something changes. Like NBC Sports Gold is launched uh, with a Premier League pass or. Uh, the championship changes changes hands from Bean Sports to ESPN three, or I Follow uh, is launched from uh, the Football League, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what I've done is actually I've decided to put the book on hold, and instead go ahead and release different uh, kind of one pages, kind of a summaries of uh, each of the major leagues and major streaming services, and then uh, make those available to listeners and readers so you can go ahead and download, download those for free. So I have four so far created, one's for La Liga, one's for the Premier League, uh, i got one for Sling World Sports, and then also one for FUBU Premier. And each of these goes into a lot of detail about uh, what the services uh, include and don't include and what the prices are. Uh, it's a lot of research actually involved. So, so go ahead and uh, if you're interested, go to worldsoccertalk.com and on the homepage, there'll be uh, uh, an article that talks about uh, the free downloads and go ahead and download those and then you'll get those through email. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and that's, that's useful for all our listeners. So I would take advantage of that if I were you. Um, the Guardian this past week reported Eric Winalda has met, has an interest in running for USSF president. This is actually something I've known about for for a long time, so I I wasn't as stunned as everybody else was. But uh, this is a, a a person in Winalda. If you watch him on Fox Sports, you know he has very um, different opinions about um, the structure of U.S. soccer and the success of major league soccer versus uh, and, and coached in the NASL coach in the second division versus the company men, as I, I've called them, maybe that's too, um, too nasty a term. Maybe that's a over the top term, but there's a, there's a clear contrast between when all point of view as a co-commentator and former U S men's national team player and someone who's coached in the system versus the other former U S men's national team players who are on television and have coached. Um, in the U.S. system. So it would be a, a stern challenge for Sunil Gulati if he's able to run for president. Now, there are other challengers out there, Paul Lapointe, among others, uh, who's the commissioner of the uh, UPSL in the Northeast region. There is a situation where Sunil Gulati was unopposed the first um, several times he was elected president, the first three times he was elected president of U.S. soccer. This fourth time, it looks like the, the uh, combination of uh, the, the issues around the hiring and sacking of Jurgen Klinsmann, the performance of the men's national team, the um, 
the the antitrust lawsuit that's now been filed by NASL against U.S. Soccer, uh, but uh, the 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 unhappiness of people in kind of the NASL circuit, if you will call it that, the pro rel people, and then also um, uh, to a large extent the botched uh, uh, situation with the women's CBA, which uh, finally got resolved. But all of these issues have have, have popped up to the surface, and uh, the FIFA scandal, a big chunk of the FIFA scandal taking place on U.S. soil to make Gulati more vulnerable than he's been in the past. Eric Winalda, uh, I would encourage people to read uh, that Guardian article, just go- do a Google search for it, it ran about last Friday or last Thursday, uh, talking about his vision for U.S. soccer if he were to make this race. And uh, it certainly would be very interesting if he ran. Uh, there's uh, uh, Most of the people I talk to probably would support him, but again, I'm, on, I'm in one of kind of, you know, one of the factions, if you will, um, but uh, but he's um, he he certainly got an authoritative voice and a credibility that uh, it would be tough to match in in the race. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I think it's somebody who will definitely shake things up, or at least try to. And uh, I, I'm really excited about this Kartik. I, I think hopefully he decides to run, and uh, we'll have to wait and see in terms of um, the process. You mean in terms of how democratic that process is. Uh, and if he has yeah, yeah, I think chance. there are a lot of powers that be that will absolutely go, go to no end to try and stop him. Exactly. Let's be honest yeah, about it. Yeah. I mean, they're not threatened by some of no, – no offense to Paul LaPointe, who I like a great deal, um, and some of the other people who've talked about running. But there, I think there's a, a real fear of, of when all that – as we even see when he commentates, right? I mean, there, there's just this um, – there's this – um, want to, to shut him up at times yeah. uh, uh, from from the powers that be in the game in this sport in this country. So um, I think I, th- I don't know how democratic the process will be if he runs. Honestly, I yeah. have to say that at the outset. I think if he does decide to run, I think it really a lot of it depends on um, the listeners, on the soccer fans in the United States to stand up and really get behind him and really focus in on this in terms of uh, supporting him and uh, making sure that um, the whole process of, of the actual USSF presidency uh, process is as democratic as possible and to make sure that he doesn't get shut out because I could see, yeah, a lot of opposition forces trying to, to stop him or just trying to uh, badmouth him or just, just uh, trying to you mean, put him down and, and try to limit his, his chances of winning. Um, so the election, Kartik, is that in February? It's in February in Orlando. Hmm. Okay. All right. So I'm sure we'll be uh, keeping listeners and uh, and readers too, also on willsoccertalk.com, uh, updated as we get closer to that election and making sure that uh, if he does decide to run or whoever decides to run, that we get the information out there to uh, to make change. All right. So uh, the last piece of news, Kartik, this is a big one. This one came in uh, this morning on Thursday, and that is that the Premier League is now proposing a new way to divide up the revenue from international TV rights. Under the current deal, all 20 clubs uh, split the international TV revenue. So, for example, last season, each club received $39 million in revenue from international TV rights. But with the amount of money increasing um, into the multi-billions internationally, the top six Premier League clubs want 35% of the money to be split based on merit. So, for example, the top six would get a lot more money than the clubs that end up in 7th through 20th position. So the clubs who want it uh, to be based on the merit uh, system are, no surprise, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Spurs. And uh, according to David Kahn in The Guardian, he says that 11 of the uh, other 14 clubs are against the idea. 
and I'm actually surprised that there's three clubs out there um, in that kind of other uh, 14 that are actually uh, perhaps for it. But maybe they think they're a part might of the be Everton. Everton. Everton might be one of them. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Is there's clubs that probably think that they're kind of a top six club but are not and, and right. Everton probably is, is one of those ones Kotick you're right so the Premier League uh, clubs have scheduled a meeting for next Wednesday to, to decide on how that money from the international TV rights will be shared in future seasons uh, this could have major changes Kotick uh, yeah it would be look I, I think what we're finding with English football, I mean, there are a lot of pro-rail advocates in this country, and I'm, I'm a pro-rail person as well, but who completely misinterpret what's gone on in England and think that, that it's some sort of meritorious system um, and that it's, it's, it's equitable. This would be yet another step if this were passed away from the kind of equitable uh, promise that the Premier League had when it split off in, in 92 and 93. And David Kahn, I think he's very – he comes from one perspective, but a lot of the things he's written through the years – that I used to poo-poo have actually come to pass, uh, unfortunately. And um, that's why I've told I, – I get into these fights with pro-rel advocates all the time on on Twitter saying, hey, I want pro-rel. Uh, I completely agree, but I think you have to have some degree of control and, and revenue splitting, whether it's uh, pre-92 England or it's the way MLS splits revenue if you and caps expenses. If you don't have that, then there are certain teams that are going to dominate, and eventually they're going to dominate in the boardroom as well and it's going to be like Europe where, where just a few teams are, are, are winning titles in every league every year um, this this would be I, I think a terrible thing if this happened but yeah. I, I'm not holding out much hope because uh, it seems like there have been progressive steps by the Premier League toward favoring that that sky six as the Swiss mm-hmm. Ramble uh, termed them several years ago which was based on television um, yeah, that but- this is everything is going in that direction yeah plus i mean you look at leicester i mean leicester perhaps couldn't happen if this uh, change does happen where leicester gets uh, it wouldn't happen right right a lot less of the money and the top six get even more money and that uh, kind of pushes out the leicesters and reduces the chances of ever kind of um even winning the league so I, and i think so much of the success of those top teams, the ability of a Manchester City or a Chelsea to compete with Barcelona and Real Madrid or, and Bayern, because let's be honest, who are they to really be able to compete with those clubs uh, in, in terms of the, uh, the, the the overall European landscape is because the Premier League is so strong from top to bottom and there is a there is an inability to share revenue, which is kept which has elevated the league to such a point where there are people who want to play in that league, um, even if they feel like, well, I may not win a European Cup if I go to Manchester City. Now, if you're beginning to pull that off, maybe short term, you've got more money to spend and you're, you're able to compete with Real Madrid and Barcelona. But long term, it turns the Premier League into La Liga, it turns the Premier League into the Bundesliga, into Liga with without the competition. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even Serie A. I mean, I think Serie A now might be this year might be a year we're seeing a comeback to more balance in that league. But there hasn't been much balance in that league recently either. So um, the TV, the way TV revenue has been split. Uh, I, I stress this over and over again. I'm sorry I'm taking a lot of time on this point, Chris. But the way TV revenue has been split is the only reason why the Premier League is more competitive than those other leagues in Europe. Um, 
And if you go keep going in this direction, you end up in a, with a league where there are huge gaps. We already saw a 15 point gap between seventh and eighth last season in the league, which to me was pretty ominous. Now, maybe this year it'll be more competitive, but um, I'm concerned about the league, which is why um, I, I, I want reform in U.S. soccer, but I don't want us to automatically copy the English model. Um, because there, there are things like this that are that I think this will eventually happen, Chris. I, I'm not uh, holding out much hope that it'll be stopped. Whether it happens next Wednesday or it happens two years from now, and um, I think the league is just getting further and further away from the majority of fans in that country mm-hmm. um, and their ability of their clubs to really compete. Yeah, it's one of those things that I mean, from the, the Sky Six, I can, I can understand their perspective. They're saying that uh, from the international TV rights side of things, I mean, USA is a big part of, of that. Is that the majority of uh, viewers tuning in and getting excited about the Premier League are fans of the, of the Sky Six? Right. But at the same time, I, I mean, to me, to me, to make the league more competitive and keep it as competitive as it is, uh, except for Crystal Palace, sorry, sorry Palace <laughs> fans. Uh, I mean, you really kind of have to try to share that that. Uh, as much as possible so that uh, it, it is competitive week in, week out, as opposed to other leagues, you mean like uh, La Liga as, as one example, where you mean it really is just, um, I mean, this, I mean, it's probably just two teams, but sometimes usually three teams out of, uh, out of 20 that are going to go for the title, at least with the, the Premier League. You could say, you mean, six or seven of those teams have a good chance of actually winning it. Um, all right, Kartik, let's move on though to TV ratings uh, for this past weekend. And um, a big number out of uh, MLS. We talked about this last episode. Uh, we, we're not surprised. Uh, 1.35 million for Sporting KC, LA Galaxy, and Atlanta Montreal on Fox this past Sunday with the, uh, the doubleheaders with uh, the NFL. Uh, and the way that, that this worked was that some cities um, that get Fox got the Sporting KC LA Galaxy game, and then some cities got the Atlanta Montreal game, depending on where you are in, in the country and what NFL games were going on. So uh, if you were to split it down the middle, which we don't know what those numbers are yet, but you I mean roughly about 665,000 uh, viewers per game. So so definitely some good numbers there, Kartik. And, uh, yeah, and it was just a crapshoot. I mean, I. Um I don't follow the NFL, so I had no idea how, how uh, what markets were getting won. And um, unfortunately, my market got the uh, Sporting KC LA Galaxy game. I was all psyched to watch Atlanta. Uh, I'm, I'm generally getting psyched to watch a lot of Atlanta recently. And unfortunately, uh, wasn't able to uh, should, on, on my local channel here. Yeah, I should have told you. Actually, Fox Sports Go had both of them. So no matter where you lived in the country, you could still see um, both of the games or either of the games. So you, you could have, even if your local Fox affiliate uh, wasn't showing it, you could still uh, go through Fox. Yeah, Sports I wish I'd watch that. I mean, uh, Atlanta is, uh, I mean, a lot of people like to knock Major League Soccer. I do as well, obviously, but uh, a lot on this show. But Atlanta, uh, if you watch Atlanta United, you might you might think MLS is one of the top leagues in the world. I mean, they are that fun to watch, yeah. uh, quite frankly, right now. Absolutely. Um, and then some of the other numbers we got from this past weekend, uh, 811,000 people tuned in to watch that Leicester-Liverpool game on NBC and Universo. Uh, we had 355,000 for Manchester City against Crystal Palace on NBC, SN and uh, Universo. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but uh, we'll have all of them at uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, uh, Girona against Barcelona was uh, 355,000 on BN Sports and uh, BN Sports in Espanol. 
and uh, 454,000 for Brighton against Newcastle on NBCSN and Telemundo. Uh, that's a big number for a Brighton-Newcastle game. Uh, I think about 155,000 was from Telemundo on that one alone. And then Alaves against uh, Real Madrid, uh, 286,000 on BN Sports and BN Sports en Espanol. Also, Kartik uh, US Open Cup Final, uh, 274,000. Uh, a decent number there for ESPN2. Yeah, they had um, the, the Atlanta Galaxy game on before, which had 212,000. Now, c- consider this. Uh, there were 212,000 people to watch an Atlanta-LA Galaxy game that started at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2 on a Wednesday night. And there were only 110,000, or if you combine the Deportes number, 133,000 for Portland-Orlando, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time, prime time on a Sunday night uh, on FS1. Mm-hmm. I-, I think... Uh, the point has to be made that Major League Soccer, I know it, it, it hurts attendance, and that, that these Wednesday games that we've had the last two weeks have actually hurt Atlanta United's average because they've, they've only had 40,000 only, I say, only had 40,000 <laughs> at those games, whereas they're getting 60 or 70,000 on the weekend. Um, MLS has got to. We've talked about this over and over again. I just I see more and more data points that point to me that they just got to pick a night a week and, and show a national game. Uh, that week and have the occasional Sunday games still, but shift Sunday to Thursday or shift Sunday to Wednesday. Yeah. I, I still don't think that's the problem though. Kartik. I don't think that's going to fix things. Um, yes, it could help, but it's not the reason that people are not watching. Oh no, no. I, I there's a lot more to it, but I think it, it would, it will improve things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, I, I'm more inclined to watch an MLS game. I mean, I'll tell you, I get ML, I, I bought MLS Live just so I could watch midweek games like I did last night. And, but I also had the uh, League of Mekis games on from, uh, from the charity event on my television. But uh, I, I, I just seem more inclined to watch Major League Soccer during the week because I'm not burnt out from watching Premier League or Bundesliga or yeah. La Liga. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, definitely the weekends, uh, the burnout syndrome uh, happens to the best of us too, uh, especially after watching, kind of getting up at 7.30 in the morning or 7 in the morning and going all the way through till, you mean, early afternoon or mid-afternoon and then you've still got several more hours to go of games. That, that's a good point there, Kartik. Uh, a couple more numbers just from the ratings. Uh, NYCFC against Houston. This was on uh, Unamas and Univision Deportes Network. Uh, 134,000 uh, on that one for a really small view number for a game that uh, was played in Connecticut. Um, but suppose, supposedly the game itself was actually pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I watched this game, uh, a little bit of it, and, and I enjoyed it. I um, I checked it out, I won't admit, just for the venue. Mm-hmm. They're playing in Hartford. Right. And... Uh, uh, it's unfortunate that this is this is where NYCFC is. We always felt like they would be with the Yankees uh, situation. So getting a stadium is important. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Patrick Vieira is doing the best job he can. They have the second best uh, record in in the league, and um, without really kind of a home stadium, so you got to give them a lot of credit. And then one of the highlights then too from the Bundesliga, there was a midweek game last week, and that was Schalke against Bayern Munich. That was on FS1 and Fox Deportes uh, on the Tuesday, I believe. That one had 107,000 viewers, which again for the Bundesliga, anything over 100,000 is a big gain. And that uh, was during the day. So yeah, that was a, during the day on a weekday. Uh, Weston McKinney, American international, made his first Bundesliga start in that game for Schalke. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, the first one is from uh, Wallynek. 
um, sorry, I've got your uh, your name pronounced wrong. Name but must be John Wallenek, the former uh, Red Bull player. Ah, hey, you never know. Uh, so this was on Twitter. He says that in response to your last episode, uh, the past couple of cycles of U.S. youth players has been weak. To be generous, uh, to be a feeder league, you need product to export. Uh, the fact that we missed major youth tournaments and the Olympics recently uh, show the lack of talent that was coming out of America, not just MLS. Also missing out uh, limits exposure to scouts. Uh, look at the overall pool of 23 to 29-year-old Americans. How many uh, would you choose over current 23 to 29-year-olds around the world? Uh, it is true that MLS does not make uh, developing Americans a priority, nor should they. Responsibility is to the investors. Make us um, make as much money as possible uh, for the, for the crafts, etc. Uh, keeping players has uh, here increases uh, roster stability and reduces risk of replacing solid uh, players with a flop. As you said, American sports owners are quite risk-adverse. MLS develops talent to keep costs lower. Kartik, what do you say to that? Uh, I agree with him, particularly about the point about scouting. So uh, we saw after the 2007 uh, Youth World Cup or uh, Under-20 World Cup where the U.S. made a big run uh, that Josie Altador went to Villarreal. Danny Satella went to um, uh, a club in Italy. I'm blanking out on the club now. Brescia, I think it was. Uh, Sal Sizzo got signed by Hanover. Uh, none of them really made it at those clubs, but it, was, it wasn't it was their play in Major League Soccer or at their colleges that got them those looks. It was the... Uh, it was the under-20 World Cup. Now, fast forward 10 years, Eric Palmer Brown is having a hard time uh, getting playing time in Major League Soccer. But he was so good at the under-20 World Cup in the estimation of some scouts this summer that he got signed by Manchester City. He signed a free contract with Manchester City. Uh, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you're not in those tournaments, it limits the ability of European clubs to scout you and pick you up. They're, they're, I think in a lot of cases, they're more interested in how you do in those tournaments. Actually, I, th I have to say the same thing for Miazga. Uh, Miazga, I think, got signed by Chelsea more off of the uh, play in the U-20 World Cup in 2015 than, um, than his play in MLS, although he, to me, was one of the best defenders in MLS, a league that has uh, that is kind of defic deficient defensively. Mm -hmm. But I think he probably got that contract more out of U.S. youth national team performances than out of um, out of the World Cup and uh, out out of MLS, and he got to Chelsea, and now Palmer Brown is signing with Man City. So they're big clubs who will take chances on Americans if they see them in those youth competitions. Um, and when you don't qualify for those youth competitions, that pipeline's cut off. I, I think Walniak has hit it spot on, and it's to be honest with you, it is not something I've thought about until he he wrote this uh, uh, comment to us, and and I thought about it the last few days. I was like, yeah, you know, he he's right. History bears it out. Next comment is from uh, uh, letter is from uh, Random Black Rain on Twitter, and he says uh, he went ahead and did some uh, uh, computations, and he said that since MLS uh, the 2017 season has started, there have been 782 soccer games on national television. 80 of them have been on, on MLS. There were uh, 305 million uh, TV viewers of soccer uh, in aggregate. Uh, since the start of the MLS 2017 season, only 20.5 million chose to watch MLS, which equals 6.7%.
So definitely some uh, some numbers to, to kind of take into consideration um, in terms of. I mean, uh, I mean, soccer is a big thing in the United States, but MLS is just I mean just a small portion of that. And uh, sometimes I think MLS fans or clubs or owners kind of think that uh, they are much bigger than that six point seven percent. Next up is Soccer Dave two fifty three uh, on Twitter, and he says, uh, "Kartik, uh, how do you guys? Uh, what, what do you guys think of um, Lifetime and and how they're doing with the NWSL broadcasts?" I think they're doing really well. I, I um, watched them again this week, Portland and Orlando on Saturday, and they um, they they do a really good job of presenting the league and presenting uh, the clubs and highlighting players, which I like, and the production level is off the charts. I do think the one thing I would critique is that they're very kind of self-contained in how they they analyze the league, which is the way MLS was broadcast for years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are there are some tremendous things going on in European club football that seem to not be talked about um, on their broadcasts and, and uh, competition from European clubs for some of these players. But I think um, that that's just a, that's just a personal pet peeve. Uh, I think they're doing a fantastic job and it's a great, a great broadcast, great media partner for the league. And the, uh, the TV numbers are still, still decent. Uh, last weekend was uh, Orlando pride against uh, Portland thorns. And that was 82,000 on life lifetime. So those numbers are still uh, pretty close to the hundred thousand mark um, on a routine basis. Last but not least, uh, Stephen Kirkpatrick on Twitter said uh, the quality of the Forest Green Rovers against Swindon broadcast on ESPN3 last week was excellent. Interesting to see a fourth division English broadcast be so much better than our second division broadcast in the United States. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot uh, USL productions and those who broadcast NASL can probably learn from from the way the, the championship the football league broadcasts are done. Uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see as these matches are available on ESPN three. We've seen a sm- smattering of League One and League Two games the last few weeks. If one or two of those clubs gains interest. Um, now, hardcore fans have subscribed to iFollow. I know some Pompey fans who've done that, for example. But if there is one or two League One or League Two clubs that ca- catches the fancy of American fans and develops a following out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and Forest Green Rovers uh, could be one of those clubs. If you do want to learn more about Forest Green Rovers, uh, the, yeah, Ga- it's, the Guardian it's a, it's a had a great piece. I think a lot of people will like, actually. Yeah. If they... If they find out more about them yeah like yeah. what they stand for yeah and in the next few weeks actually there's going to be a few more games too from league one and league two on espn3 and uh, sling orange and we've got the schedule at worldsoccertalk.com under the the championship tv schedule page we've got uh, i think coventry's playing uh and, and uh, some of the league one and league two clubs are going to be shown so pretty cool uh and then if you do you guys have any have any questions or feedback or you want to send us um any any comments in terms of uh, a question about streaming or watching soccer on television, we're here to answer those questions for you. You can reach us through uh, email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com, through Twitter at worldsoccertalk, I'm sorry, at uh, wsoccertalk, apologies, and then through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. All right, Kartik, this is our feature topic of the week, and we want to talk about the verdict so far on Facebook Live soccer streams. So as of uh, the recording of this podcast, um, Facebook Live has dived into soccer broadcasts. They've done some Liga Mekis games um, with um, the English broadcasts of those. 
and now they've done the UEFA Champions League games. So we've seen uh, Manchester City against Feyenoord. Uh, we've got uh, Manchester City against Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, PSG against Celtic. PSG against um, Bayern Munich this week. What's been your overall thoughts about um, the quality of the streams and kind of pluses and minuses? And do you think this is something that could be uh, part of the future of uh, soccer broadcasting? Yeah, a, a couple of points here. One, I, it's not, and maybe it's because I'm Facebook illiterate. I, I, for years, have had trouble f- finding things on Facebook, which is why I like Twitter so much better, and I have six times as many Twitter followers as I do Facebook followers, and uh, have complained to people who are very Facebook-driven, uh, like my wife, about um, about Facebook. Finding the games has been difficult. Once I find them, it's great. But um, you, you do a search for Manchester City versus uh, Shakhtar the other day, and I'm getting uh, somebody's thread on it, somebody's uh, commentary, and then I put in Facebook Live, somebody doing a Facebook Live. I think it was Stuart Brennan, actually, from the Manchester Evening News, live from the game before the game. I'm like, oh, no, I want the Fox broadcast. Mm-hmm. Finally get it. Um, this happened the previous time, too, the, the, the Fire Nord game, but I was in – the middle of hurricane recovery. So I, um, I, I wasn't as uh, peeved about it at the time. I mean, I was just going to watch a little bit of that game. Um, so the, the broadcast itself, Rachel Panetta did a good job as host. She didn't, it wasn't like the last broadcast where she was trying to call the game. I thought Brian Don, Dunseth was incredibly good uh, in terms of his ability to, to analyze Manchester City. Now, again, if you're a Shakhtar fan, I'm sorry. I guess it's just not many people know much about Shakhtar, but um, done in this country, even though I've seen them play in person twice in this country in the last few years here in Florida, but when they've come here during their winter break in the Ukraine. But um, Dunseth was really spot on in a lot of his analysis of Manchester City while he was also calling the game. Uh, so I thought he was good. Malkiat and him had good chemistry, although Malkiat didn't necessarily make the kind of analytical points that Dunseth was making. But I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I thought I thought Dunning was really good in, in his element, uh, knows the club, knows the players in the club, so was able to, to provide a, a real high level of analysis. The question is for guys like Dunseth and Malkiat is if you end up with the random like uh, – Apoel versus Porto game, how well they'll do. Um, it, it's different when you have a city, you have a PSG uh, playing because they, they know those clubs. But I thought it was quite good. Um, I, I like uh, the quality of the stream. I didn't have any of the kind of problems with this stream that I had had with ESPN3 the previous week with League Cup midweek. And uh, I, I thought it, it was a, a very good broadcast, very clean broadcast, both the PSG uh, Bayern game and the, the Man City uh, Shakhtar game. My only complaint again is that facebook is cluttered and finding this stuff on facebook uh takes some time if, if you're um if if you're not that determined to watch the match uh and you're as facebook illiterate as i am you might not find it yeah that, uh, yeah Kartik, it's amazing in terms of um and, and again before the show we don't talk about these uh opinions so we kind of like share them uh live and cold so i don't know what you're going to say and you don't know what i'm going to say I completely agree in terms of um, how bad Facebook is in terms of search. And um, the same thing happened to me, too, is that I knew where the, the, the actual games were, but there were so many people on social media, on Twitter and other places that were completely lost. And the funny thing, it's funny but sad, is that uh, on one on Facebook, on one of the um, really active soccer hardcore groups there where you got you mean, fans every day talking about all the games, the, the, the massive soccer fans. 
and they had posted something on there too, saying like, yeah, yeah, where is the uh, the um, the Man City, uh, no, the PSG uh, Bayern game? I can't find it. And somebody somebody posted and replied to say, yeah, yeah, I think it's on ESPN. And then someone replied and said, no, no, I think it's on Fox Supporters. Someone else repli- replied, I think it's on Facebook. And they're, they're on Facebook having this conversation in real time. And I think ultimately, finally, one of them posted and said, hey, here's a link to it. And the link was to an illegal stream. It wasn't to to the actual Facebook um live stream you mean the legal stream and that's the biggest issue and i I think it's one of those things that i think as long as facebook search uh stays the same which has stayed the same for years anyone that's been been using facebook knows that uh this is going to be a fad that facebook live and soccer games are going to be a fad uh unless facebook fixes that because uh unless they can yeah i i've had trouble i we haven't talked about this topic before but uh, i've had trouble finding the liga mechies games i try and watch them ever so often the, the facebook live games and uh, you, you'll you'll do a search and you'll end up with something completely different right exactly and that's the thing though too i think there were so many people too that were surprised uh, Fox didn't do a great job, I don't think, in terms of... I mean, yes, they said, okay, the game's on Facebook Live, but what does that mean to the average person on the street? I mean, do they know where to find those games? I mean, was it kind of a step-by-step, uh, I mean, details on, on television or on the, on the Fox Sports website that said, hey, here's actually how to find it? Because for you and I, Kartik, I, I mean, well, for me, I knew where they were to start off with, so it made it easier, but, um, but that's an issue. The, in terms of the... Um, the commentary and the kind of the hosting. And I think they're doing a much better job. I think, uh, like you said to Rachel Bonetta, Mario Melchiot and Brian Dunseth have great chemistry together. And I think in many ways that, um, that those, the, the trio there are better than, uh, when, when Stuart Holden was in there, Stuart Holden was okay, but, um, the, the, these three seem to work better together. I would say though, to Kartik that I would prefer if at all possible, if they just focused on the pre-match, Halftime and post-match, and then for the actual commentary, uh, just use the world feed, and you had the expert commentators kind of uh, providing a commentary. To me, at least from my perspective, that would have been much better. Now, in terms of the uh, the numbers, so I looked at the numbers and I, I wanted to write them down and see kind of how many people were actually watching these games. So for the Manchester City against Shakhtar game, which is on uh, Tuesday on Facebook Live. Uh, the pre-game coverage that topped about 3,100 viewers. And then I came back in at, uh, I think, the beginning of halftime. And that that was up to about 5,500 viewers. So not a lot of people watching the game. Um, probably not a lot of Shakhtar fans, to be honest. But still, the, the level of excitement and anticipation for the PSG uh, Bas- uh, Bayern Munich game, of course, was much higher, especially with the Neymar uh, involved. And uh, pre-match for this one, uh, it topped 10,000 viewers. So uh, more than double than what uh, the Man City Shakhtar game got even at, at its peak. And at the beginning of halftime for the PSG um, Bayern Munich, it was uh, 45,000 viewers. And then um, at halftime, I mean, it looked like it was going to be PSG going all the way, which ended up being that way too. But um, at, ha- at the beginning of the second half, it dropped it back down to about 31,000 viewers. Okay, so you're Turner Sports, and you're seeing 45,000 people are watching a stream on Facebook that Fox is putting out there. Now, do you get encouraged and think we can get all these people to buy our pay-per-view product? Or are you thinking, oh my goodness, we're cutting off our own legs because if this is a free stream Fox is offering? 
Ring uh, via a third-party platform, and they got forty-five thousand viewers. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should maybe we should think twice about the paywall. Uh, how do you think yeah. Turner views those numbers? Because I I have to tell you that number to me is enormous, considering it's Facebook Live. The forty-five thousand. Yeah, that's madness. I thought it would be five or ten thousand. And, Honestly. and that's free. I mean, so and and also if that game was on television, which that to me would have been the biggest game yesterday to show, that might have got say two hundred and fifty thousand viewers. I mean, the challenge that Fox has is there's so many good games on on, yeah. on these match days that okay, how do you distribute all these? Because I mean, you'd have to have so many channels to show this on television. You have to put some of these online. Uh, this was a big one. This was a kind of a on purpose. They went ahead and put this one on Facebook Live, hoping to get uh, a big number. And of course, it's an investment. They're looking at this saying, okay, well, let's put it on Facebook Live. We know it's going to be fewer than the TV side, but maybe um, six months from now, these numbers are now, I mean, 245,000 people are actually viewing it. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to get that high. Uh, but yeah, Turner's got to be thinking in terms of um, also, I mean, the, the illegal streaming part of it too, where people are just, okay, they can't find the game. Uh, they don't know it's on Facebook Live. They're on Facebook. They can't find it. So they just, just go to an illegal stream again. Um, that's the challenge. And, and, of course, Turner will show some of these games on television. Um, but still, I think Turner's probably, to me, that number's low, Kartik, 45,000 viewers. Uh, to you, it's big. But to me, it's low in terms of a game of this caliber available for free on Facebook, especially people, given Facebook size. Knowing, yeah, not knowing where it is, I think, factors into it. I mean, that's still a pretty pretty big number. I mean, this is a daytime game, and there were other games on at the same time in the same competition that were on television. Chelsea was playing, Man United was playing, and uh, uh, there was a Barcelona, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, those, and those games were all on television. And Celtic, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of big games on. So um, I guess it depends which way you look at it. Um, at this point, I think I think Turner's probably not going to make a U-turn in terms of their strategy, uh, in terms of offering most of the games uh, online. And I, I guess at the end of the day, Kartik, it's probably more down to revenue, more down to money in terms of figuring out how much revenue they can possibly generate by offering a, a streaming product, um, whether it's going to be a standalone UEFA Champions League product or if it's going to be a Turner Sports product that has... Champions League and Europa League and you mean I don't know NBA basketball or something together. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be more figured on the amount of money they can generate rather than the actual viewer numbers. And um, so far, as we've seen with NBC Sports Gold, there's been a lot, a lot of backlash. I mean, a lot of people saying like, "I'm not willing to pay. Screw it. Right. You mean enough's enough? I already pay so much money with my DirecTV bill. I'm, I'm not going to be pay, paying an extra fifty dollars." Uh, for a service I was getting for I mean, free. Fox has made these games so available. This is the this is the danger for Turner. Uh, people complain about Fox's coverage, and, and rightfully so, although, again, we, we earlier in this show, we've given them a lot of praise for making the changes in the studio that they made, at least for this week, which really improved the broadcast. But um, you get so many games on television on Fox. Uh, uh, you get the game on the Fox Sports Regional Net. You get uh, the, the FS1, FS2, uh, uh, if, you, if there's a game kicking off in Russia or Ukraine early, you get that game too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It, or, or Cyprus. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it's, an, it's an expectation now. And I have a feeling, even though it's a different network, it might go the same direction as NBC Sports Gold, where people are like, hey, you know, they gave, a, they gave this to us for free. It's not really free, but you feel like it's free. For, mm-hmm. for years, um, I'm not paying for it. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're, you're right, Kartik, and, and especially with Turner Sports, uh, we have no idea in terms of. Uh, I mean, hopefully they'll do a great job, but we have no idea in terms of their technology uh, how strong that'll be. We don't have no idea in terms of the talent who they're going to be hiring to actually. Uh, broadcast and, and bring these games to you, know, you. The thing with NBC Sports Gold is if they just made the thing available on television uh, like they do with uh, with the um, w- w- like they used to do with NBC Live Extra and like they uh, do with NBC Sports.com where you can do it on your computer, uh, it, it, it might be much more accessible and people may not be complaining as much. The fact that you're having to use this dedicated app, um, you know, not even your web browser, is... Um, I think is a big part of the problem. And then authentication becomes an issue with that and all of this stuff. Um, So hopefully Turner sees that and maybe even if they don't offer spillover channels on the television, if you subscribe, they make it possible for you to just do it in a web browser from any mobile device or your, your, your desktop computer, uh, which will encourage people who do it at work, um, who are at work during these champions league games to subscribe now. And, um, uh, NCAA March Madness, they have all of these things available, Turner. So hopefully they'll do the same thing with the Champions League. But they could go down the NBC Sports Gold route, where I think not only is it a pay service, but it's a, a rather inaccessible pay service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's one of the, 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 the two biggest things in terms of streaming, whether it's any sports. I mean, we're talking about soccer here. Uh, really, it comes down to quality, quality of the stream, and then reliability, making sure that you mean, every time I tune in to watch whatever game it is, it's, it's going to be there. I, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it crashing or going down or buffering or any of that. And at the end of the day, I don't think people are that concerned about the money part of it. I mean, the money... You mean if you don't have much money and you're a teenager, yes. But for the most part, I think people would be willing to pay for a product that is reliable and has great quality. Um, and that's where we're at right now is we're not getting that. We have, we've had issues with NBC Sports Gold. Uh, like you mentioned, you had issues with ESPN3. Uh, Fubo had a couple of issues this week, too, in terms of their Champions League coverage. And uh, it happens. And, and that's where the technology is at. Um, we're not it's not perfect yet and and, uh, it's getting there but uh, i think that's at the end of the day that's what people are looking at more so is the reliability and quality of streams kartik let's uh let's move on and close it's been a it's been a long show but a good show and uh so where can kartik uh where, where can listeners find you on the internet uh kkfla on uh on twitter or uh, uh find me on facebook or google plus with with my name uh worldsoccertalk.com is the website or the floridasqueeze.com excellent well thank you for listening you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday every episode is released on soundcloud youtube stitcher itunes tune in audio boom and worldsoccertalk.com if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on itunes and kartik what should they do enjoy your football <laughs>